ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 21 of Jordan and Drew, the sports crew. My name is Drew Skyberg. My co-host, Jordan Lorenz, he is still on vacation. I know he was last week with our draft preview that was released. He's still partying up in Nashville. He went to a sounds game. He went to a few museums. He even went to a show down in Nashville. So we hope we can get him back soon, but we got to get into some things here. I mean, the Clay Taylor interview last week was great. If you haven't listened to that, go ahead and listen to it. I know the drafts already happened. It was still a great preview. But later this episode, we're going to have him on to recap the draft. So stay tuned for that. And let's get into the stuff right away here. Um, We got some news for this podcast. We have a fantasy football league. So I know a lot of our fans, they love fantasy football, and we want to include them in a league this year. So it's going to be a PPR one-year league. It's on NFL Fantasy. And if you're interested, just shoot me a message at Drew Skyberg on all the platforms. You guys know the drill there. And really, it's going to be fun, free to enter, and we're giving out a prize to the winner of the league. And we plan to have them on to interview them about their season as well. So if you're interested, shoot me a message. And you're not going to want to miss out on the prize, let me tell you. But another thing we got is, I mean, my friends and I, we're we're currently doing a $5 Dynasty League. So I don't know if that interests anyone. It's where you kind of keep your team for years to come and stuff. And it's $5. It's $5 for the season. And we got three spots left. So if you want to shoot me a message as well, if you're interested in that league, just let me know because I can get send you the link for that and I will get you in that league. So that's just all the news about our fantasy football stuff. But next to, you know, you guys know the drill. Subscribe to our YouTube, five-star view and Apple podcast, all that good stuff. Get us to 30 subs on YouTube. We would really, really appreciate that. And shirts is another thing. Shirts should be coming very, very soon. I mean, I was told by Jordan that they are coming possibly at the end of this week. So, I mean, just stay tuned for that. Check our Instagram out, Drew underscore sports crew, because we will for sure post stuff there. And, yeah, now let's get into our segments, our weekly segments here. The shout-out of the week. And this is going to go to the Brewers GM and President, uh, President of Baseball Operations, so Matt Arnold, the GM, David Stearns, the president, president of baseball operations for the magnificent work they did for the deadline. We'll, we'll get into it. Or I mean, I will get into it briefly in a later segment because I am really fond of these moves. I know we saw, we saw Curtis, we saw Norris. I mean, they didn't pitch well last Saturday, but I'm not worried. And I think these guys, I think there'll be valuable pieces and assets down the end. I think these guys like they have they have valuable they are valuable assets. I just I think what we gave up, we didn't give up much. Not really any top guys that the Brewers have. I mean, we still have Garrett Mitchell, we still have Ethan Small, those guys were kept and we were still were able to make some moves to show, hey, we're all in this to win. So great work to those gentlemen for really putting together an excellent team. I mean, this team 63 and 43 as I'm recording right now on Sunday night. So Props to them, but now it's time for the stats of the week. Feels so weird doing that because usually, you know, we all know Jordan does that, but that was great to do. So first one is called hitting hitting the century mark. So 
The Brewers hold a 58-42 mark through the first 100 games of the season, tied for the second-best record in franchise history. 1979, they went 60-40. 1978, they went 58-42. And now in 2021, they went 58-42. and And the reason we haven't seen this stat being broken by some of the great Brewer teams we've seen in recent years, so like 2018-2011, we all know those teams just were hot at the end. They were just on fire. It's great to see this 2021 Brewer team. They don't need to make a lot. Hopefully they don't need to make a last month push to make like the playoffs or, you know, right now we're sitting seven games atop the division, very comfortable lead there. And I just, as a Brewer fan, this is great right now because usually we are stressing right now. We are usually just thinking what is going to happen here. Each game, I mean, each game still matters, of course, but it's just, it's great to be in the lead, you know, and that's what the Brewer fans and the Brewers themselves are feeling right now. So that's great. And uh, here's the next stat of the week. It's also a baseball stat. The Minnesota Twins are the first team in MLB history to out-homer their opponent by seven and lose. And also the Detroit Tigers are the first team in MLB history to be out homered by seven and, w- and win. So, yeah, these two teams faced each other. So two records in one game. Very exciting there. And how this happened was Detroit, they scored a bunch of runs without hitting a home run. And Minnesota, they scored all their runs exclusively basically by the home by the long ball. So when that happens, stats like this come out and just whack, a wacky game. It was a football score. The, the big joke was that the Lions beat the Vikings, blah, blah, blah. So that, it, it was funny there. But, yeah, those those are the two stats of the week. And let's move to on this day, August 2nd, Monday, August 2nd, 2021. And on this day, August 2nd, 1938, MLB, has a fir- they do a first test of bright yellow baseballs during a Dodger and Cardinal doubleheader. So I had to do some deep research in this. I was like, why are we using yellow baseballs? And I found some interesting things here. So what happened here, there was a push in 1920 because a guy by the name of Ray Chapman was killed in 19, yeah, in 1920 by a pitch by from Carl Mays. So there was a push that the white ball was hard to see and that maybe the yellow ball would have prevented his death. So then the yellow ball was something that um, they pictured would help fielders see the ball. So then what happened was they tested this ball out for a game in 1938. And the argument, like I mentioned, was it was safe for hitters but also more visible for for fielders and what they noticed was the ball's yellow dye during the game would start to run and make the ball moist and therefore the ball would start to die so like fly balls would just die in the air and they noticed this and it was a, it was a double header so first game they used the ball second game they didn't and now basically the ball is a souvenir so it had this one game where it was used and the movement basically died out after. So that's that's some interesting piece of history right there. So remember, 1938 is when the yellow baseball was used. 
on this day in 1967, the New Orleans Saints play their first ever preseason game, the first ever preseason game, and they lose to the LA Rams 16 to seven at Anaheim Stadium. So preseason's fairly new that if you look at it like that, 54 years basically. So that's an interesting piece of knowledge there. And on this day in 1982, Oakland outfielder Ricky Henderson steals his 100th MLB base of the season in a 6-5 to win versus Seattle. He becomes the first to steal 100 bases twice, twice in the modern era, so that's good to know there. In 1987, on this day, Cincinnati outfielder Eric Davis becomes the seventh player to hit 30 home runs and steal 30 bases in one season as he homers in a Reds 5-4 to win versus the Giants. On this day in 2012, American swimmer Michael Phelps wins an unprecedented third consecutive gold medal in the 200-meter individual medley at the London Olympics. Crazy stuff for Mr. Phelps there. And now let's get right into the weekly sports talk. So it's going to be a very brief this week because we got a big draft segment coming your way in a little bit. 45 minutes, or 45 minutes very lengthy, very good indeed. But we're going to go quick here. We're going to talk about the Brewers scores. We're going to talk about some deadline the deadline moves that I was praising earlier, and let's get started. So we're going to talk about last week quickly. We're going to do the Brewer scores. We're going to talk about the prediction challenge, and boy, it got interesting. So let's get started here. The Brewers, so this past week, they had a very, very good week, like I predicted. They started off with an easy three-game sweep over the Pirates, 9-0 on Monday, 7-3 on Tuesday, 12-0 on Wednesday. Or it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, my bad. And then nine to five win over the Braves on Friday. They lost eight to one on Saturday. They win two to one on Sunday, and they go five and one in the week. And you know what that means. Let's look at the predictions from the week prior. I predicted five and one like a genius. Jordan predicted four and two. So I won the prediction challenge this week. And I got some bad news for Jordan Lorenz guys. It is now tied seven to seven. He was up six to one or something in the prediction challenge. He was running away with it. And I, here I come roaring back. So now we're tied seven to seven. So we got a chance. I mean, I got a chance to take the lead next week. So let's look at the Brewers schedule for next week. So today they, open a three-game series against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and boy, the Brewers are probably really happy about that because they have really taken care of the Pirates this year. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 7-10 Monday and Tuesday, 1-10 Wednesday, and then off Thursday, we have a great three-game series coming in. The NL, best record in the NL, San Francisco Giants, come to Milwaukee to play your Milwaukee Brewers, and this is going to be a great weekend. We get a bunch of promos this weekend. There's a Brewers Cooler Bag Saturday, which I'm going to the game Saturday, August 7th, so I'm going to get a free cooler. Sunday, they got a Christian Yelch 30-30 bobblehead for when he joined the, I think it was the 40-30 club, actually, but that, that's going to be exciting there. And then also they got season ticket appreciation day on Friday, so that will be some, that's good for season ticket holders too, so Big three-game weekend for the Brewers, and I mean, they're not out of taking that one spot in the NL, hosting or having home field advantage throughout the whole 
playoffs on the NL side here. They are like, I believe they're three games back of the Giants overall, and they can really, they could, if they go on a nice run here, they could keep, if they keep playing how they're playing, basically, they could overtake that and they could be hosting the winner of the wildcard games. So I'm looking forward to that if that could happen. But that's it for the Brewers' schedule. Now we're going to talk about the deadline. We're going to talk about what the Brewers did this deadline. And I think they did some great things, as I mentioned. They really put together some great trades. I mean, they did a lot of these trades that I'm going to mention before the deadline, like a weeks before, which everyone knows May 22nd as Willie Adamas Day, and rightfully so because he's really been a he's really been a changing game changer for this Brewers team. And Another trades that I'm going to talk about is like the Rowdy Telez trade. I think that's a really underlooked trade. He's been hot lately. He had a stretch of, I believe, eight games where he had like four home runs, 10 hits, and he's been coming up big. But I got to talk about these, these trades that happened deadline day or a few days around the deadline. So what they were able to do, they were able to get guys like Eduardo Escobar and... I want to mention Eduardo Escobar first because I believe he was the biggest guy, in my opinion, they got. His numbers, he was an all-star this year. Batting average is kind of low, but we got his weighted runs created plus is above average. He's got a positive war this year. He can play play corner outfield spots. He can play third, short, second. They used him at first on Saturday and Sunday, so that was great to see, but what this does, this gives them a lot of depth. This gives them the opportunity to send Hira down, which they did. And I like this because I know I, I, some people ask me how I thought of this trade. And the first concerns they had was what happens to Luis Arias. And I'm like, well, if we look at this here, we could, there is an op, uh, an opportunity even for Luis Arias. Cause I mean, like injuries happen. He'll still have at bats. He's been getting at bats, but like, I know with Wong back, he's not leadoff spot anymore, so he's already lost some at-bats there, but injuries happen. We 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 know that. Jordan and I bashed a lot of signings that happened in the offseason, like the outfielder problem, how the outfield was so crowded, and look what happened. I mean, Kane come, Kane's been injured a bunch. They need those outfielders. And then right when Kane comes back, Yelch goes on the COVID, on the IL with COVID-19. So, like, what happens there? I mean, like, you need guys, so, like, their, their injuries could happen. Like Daniel Vogelback's out, Travis Shaw's out. I mean, those guys are coming back, but I wouldn't be worried about Luis Arias is always what I was my what I said. I think I'm worried. I, I'm not really worried, but Travis Shaw, I don't think he has a spot on this team. Maybe as a bench bat, but like he is not really gonna, I don't think he's gonna get that many at bats. I mean, I, I don't think they need him. I mean, his batting average is under 200. Uh, his strikeout rate was through the roof. He wasn't walking a lot, and just Eduardo Escobar is just a significantly better player than than him, and he's even been better than Arias, which I think Arias defensively, even though the airs are high, I think he still makes some great plays, but I I like this Escobar trade. We're going to see him as a, I mean, he's a switch hitter. We're going to see him a lot, and he had a home run this past weekend. Just looking forward to Eduardo Escobar, and we got to move on here. I got to mention the two other trades that happened. Daniel Norris comes in from Detroit and he was a great signing and a great trade acquisition indeed, because they gave up, they gave up Reese Olson, not really a guy who's been 
I mean, he's been pretty good, but not a guy who's been like really well received. But they got Daniel Norris. They, I mean, he's a lefty, and he's held left-handed batters to a 555 OPS this year, which is great. He's got a 5.89 ERA, but I think that looks that's highly inflated. That's the expected numbers. Like his his FIP is 3.78, so it, the ERA is a little misleading here. But he's a free agent after the year. But I think um, Norris. I I. I've been preaching. They need one more lefty reliever out of the bullpen. I, I don't like Suter as a – I just didn't like Suter as a lefty option. I mean, obviously there's there's guys like Perdomo and Milner, who guys who we've seen, Blaine Hardy we've even seen in this year. But, like, Hader and Suter and Norris, I think that's a good trio of lefties right there, and I can't be mad about that. I know Curtis and him didn't play Mitchell Saturday, like I mentioned, but – that's that's the other trans, transaction that was made. They acquired right-handed pitcher John Curtis from the Marlins for catcher prospect Peyton Henry, and Curtis he's pitched well this year. He got two, he's got two point four eight ERA. He's got three point two one FIP. So I mean not not too far off the expected stats are, and he's got forty strikeouts and forty innings. So he's been he's been good this year, and they didn't give up much. I know a lot of Brewer fans were. We're um, praising this on Twitter, and rightfully so. I mean, he's been he's been good, but I this is this is why they're the shout out of the week. I think they, these are two great bullpen pieces who are really gonna just strengthen up this pen. And yeah, I think this Brewers team they are in good shape come come the postseason. So, with that being said, now we're gonna head to the. I'm going to call it an interview, but it's just Clay and I talking and recapping the draft. So here we go to the interview. Episode 21 resumes on the podcast with our special guest, Clay Taylor. And Clay, we just watched a wonderful NBA draft yesterday as we're recording on Friday, July 30th. So Clay, I just want to hear your first first thoughts right away How we get when we get started here. How did you think the draft was? Yeah, it certainly was an exciting draft. There were a few big surprises that took place in the lottery that I don't think that anyone was expecting. Thanks for having me on again. I'm sure that the uh, viewers are probably getting bored of hearing my boring voice and annoying analysis. Uh, I hear, though, that you're having some better guests coming on soon, perhaps some uh, young home run hitters at the baseball level or the young baseball level. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, you've just a little bit, a little hint there. I like it, Clay. We are, and hope you're doing well. And like you mentioned, yeah, it really was a great draft. I mean, this draft really had it all. I mean, we had a heartwarming moment at the start with uh, Terrence Clark, I, the former Kentucky guard who actually sadly died in a car accident while preparing for the NBA draft. I mean, he was he was drafted, like as the NBA drafted him, and that was just a great moment for his family to walk up there. But I thought. I thought the draft, I mean, we had uh, some funny moments too. I know your favorite moment is listening to Kedrick Perkins announce Moses Moody. I don't know if you want to show the listeners what it sounded like. 
Yeah, he he didn't really know what he was saying. He said like uh, Moody Mo, Mo, Moody Moses Mo, Mo, Moody Moses. He stuttered over it for like ten seconds, and it was it was not a good showing from ESPN, but it certainly got a a good amount of laughter out of any viewer. So that was pretty fun. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. And this draft was the seventy fifth edition of the ABA draft, and. Like we mentioned last week, it was televised on both ESPN and ABC, but the ABC actually only had the first round only, so that was the catch there. But this was, you know, I draft right at the Barclays Center like usual, and it was, like you mentioned, I thought it was a great draft, and we're going to get right into the picks. And, I mean, not uh, not a lot of surprises in the first three, but boy, oh boy, we got a surprise at number four. So I'm going to just quickly go through these first three picks because these were, if you listened to our draft preview last week, which if you have not, I mean, I know the draft happened, but if you still want to hear us talk about some of the top prospects, I recommend to go ahead over there and listen to it on any of the listening platforms that we're on. But first pick, Detroit Pistons, they go with Cade Cunningham. I mean, we that's what we expected, Clay, and we got that one right at least. And then the second pick, Houston Rockets take Jalen Green. We got that one right, too. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers with the third pick take Evan Mobley from USC. And now here's where we're going to start talking. We got number four, the Toronto Raptors, Clay. They take Scotty Barnes. When you heard this pick get announced, what were your first thoughts? I was really surprised because going into it, all of the intel that we had heard from the experts was that there were four players who had separated themselves from the rest of the field in this year's draft in Cunningham, Green, uh, Suggs, and Mobley. But Suggs ended up falling out of that group, and Scotty Barnes went ahead of him. In my opinion, it's a mistake. I have Suggs as a tier ahead of uh, Barnes, he's my number three prospect, Jalen Suggs, that is, and Barnes is my sixth prospect. So I think that it was a bit of a reach to take uh, Scotty over the Gonzaga product, but it's a pick that makes sense when it comes to what Masai Ujiri has done in the past. He has a thing for big wings that are very switchable defenders. He's taken Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. So it makes sense with what he's done before, but it's definitely not what I would have done. Yeah, and I, I know Raptor fans weren't a fan of it either, but, like, Jalen Suggs was the guy who we thought. We thought he could – there's a chance he could sneak up to three or two. I know there were there were some guy, some analysts who really thought, like, he was, like, the top top three player of the draft. So that was that was a shock to see Barnes go four. But we go we, – then we go to number five. The Orlando Magic fall into this great opportunity. Jalen Suggs becomes available to them. Which was not thought, not something we thought was likely at the start of this draft. But hey, right when he becomes available, you know the you know what they had to do. They had to take Jalen Suggs, and they did that. So, I I know you're really high on on Suggs, but what do you think about this Orlando Magic team getting being able to get Jalen Suggs at number five? I think it's huge for them. They have some solid young pieces in Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz, RJ Hampton, but they really were lacking someone that had that high level potential top 25 player in the league. And I think that Suggs brings that to them. I think that at the very least, he's going to be a solid starting point guard. He already exhibited a very high floor in his freshman season at Gonzaga, where he was a big piece of a team that made a run to the championship game, ended up losing, but still he showed that he has a winning mentality 
And I just think that this is a huge pick for Orlando. It gives them the shot creator who's going to be able to be a focal point of their offense from day one. I don't think that it's going to make them good whatsoever in the early going. And they'll be one of the worst teams in the league, most likely this coming season. But moving forward, I think that this is a great pick for them. And they added another really nice player in number eight that I'm sure we'll get to pretty soon. We sure will, Clay. And they, they certainly, I think they did it, had a very great draft, which that's one of our other talking points later in the show. But number six, here we got one of our, I mean, I know number four was questionable, but here we, we got an interesting one here. The Oklahoma City Thunder at number six, go with Josh Giddy out of Australia, 6'8", 6'8", guard. And nobody thought really he was going to go, I mean, like number six. So this was certainly an interesting pick. I mean, very, he's a very elite guard, like with high basketball IQ, but like, and he has some potential, but Clay, what, what were your thoughts here? I mean, number six, Josh Giddy. Yeah, to me, this is a, a pretty shocking pick. I had Giddy 19th on my personal big board. So obviously this was not my favorite pick of the draft. I get what Oklahoma City is doing here. He's a young guy. I think he's only 18 or 19 years old at this point. And he's exhibited some really high level playmaking upside. But I just don't see him ever becoming a starter at the NBA level or at the very least not an impact starter because he's a lackluster athlete and he's also not a very good shooter. So as long as neither of those traits develop, it's really hard to see him becoming an important player on a winning team. I get what OKC is doing, but definitely not the direction I would have gone in, particularly with James Booknight and Jonathan Kaminga on my board, two players that I had ranked well ahead of him. Oh. You mentioned those two guys. Do you think Alpern and Shangun? Do you think if he? Do you think he was also a guy like, let's say, Book Knight might have went, and you think Al, you think Shangun would have been a guy to take there too? And when we're talking about international players, I clearly had Shangun rated as the best of the the cream of the crop, you could say, coming into the draft. He had terrific statistics in this past season at, in the Turkish league. He won MVP, and a lot of the analytic folks who were following this draft coming in had him rated as a top five player. I couldn't quite get there. He was 10th on my personal big board, but definitely think he would have better would have been a better pick than Giddy. There's debates about whether or not he's going to be an NBA ready player because he isn't the best athlete and is kind of a center in the traditional sense in that he plays a lot with his back to the basket, but he showcased some really interesting playmaking potential during his time in the Turkish league this past season ranked, I believe at the top of the league for centers when it came to assists per game. And he's also a high level rebounder, high level scorer, so I think that I would have for sure taken him over Giddy, maybe not quite at six, but he definitely would have been in consideration for me. All right. And I, I'm with you on that. I think Shangun over Giddy for sure. I, I was awfully shocked to see him go six, but here we go. We go to pick number seven, the Golden State Warriors. They take Jonathan Kaminga. So we, we Scotty Barnes and Jonathan Kaminga, at least is what I, is what I felt. I felt they were always kind of grouped together as these guys who, um, I mean, they're both like they're both forwards and they both were kind of like were tall athletic forwards. And we we didn't really know, like, who was going to go before who. And we see Scotty Barnes eventually went ahead of um, ahead of Kaminga. He went fourth. Then Kaminga went seventh. So Kaminga, you know, with the Warriors, I mean, they they got some guys coming like Clay Thompson is going to be back. Curry and. 
this team, you know, they, they have a shot. I mean, with some of these young guys they drafted, they had two top 15 picks. We'll get to the other one. But, Clay, were you happy with the Kaminga pick for the Golden State Warriors? Yeah, I was. Kaminga's not someone who's going to be able to play right away. He's maybe the most raw prospect taken in the lottery this past year. But I am pretty enamored with his upside. I think that he's got a real shot to become a high-leverage starter if he can figure out his pull-up jump shot and his feel for the game on the defensive end of the court. He has great physical skills. As He's got a long wingspan. He's a big wing. And he's a terrific athlete as well with some real explosion in the transition offense game. So if he can really click in the rest of his game, I, I really like Kaminga. And I think that this is right around the range he should have gone in. He was seventh on my personal big board. And I like I like this pick for the Warriors. Definitely gives them another future piece along with James Wiseman, their second overall pick last year. And it's intriguing to see whether or not he will end up getting traded at some point as the Warriors look to add more win now caliber players. So for Jonathan Kamenga then, like, do you have a NBA player comp kind of thing for him? Do you think like, like a Jalen Brown ceiling kind of thing? I know Jalen Brown's still kind of recent, but is there any other comparisons that come to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, Jalen Brown definitely makes sense in terms of his athleticism. He's a little bit bigger than Jalen and perhaps not as quick twitch. But if he improves his shooting, then that's definitely an, a range he could get into. If not, I could see him falling into more of the Harrison Barnes range as a big wing shot creator who just isn't quite at the same level as a all-star caliber player like Jalen Brown. But his floor is certainly pretty low, and there's a chance he doesn't even reach those starter outcomes like a Barnes outcome would be he could end up falling off and being the next like Josh Jackson or something like that. He's bigger than Jackson and isn't as good of a jump shooter, but there's a wide range of outcomes here with Kaminga. And I'm intrigued to see what happens with him during his time in the league. Yeah. He's certainly got to be a guy to watch for years to come. And then we go to number eight, that pick that you were, that you mentioned right away. And here we go. The Orlando magic with pick number eight, Franz Wagner of, of Michigan, a six, nine forward 19 only. And, He's certainly got a lot of upside, doesn't he, Clay? He does, yeah. We we broke down the Magic's first pick at number five where they took Jalen Suggs, and I said that he could be the focal point of their offense as a high-level shot creator. Wagner can be the focal point of Orlando's defense. He's one of the best help defenders in this entire draft class. He has excellent instincts and does a great job of anticipating what the offense is going to do. Is constantly in the right position and can function as a weak side rim protector in a similar way that Giannis did. He's not quite as explosive athletically, but in terms of being in the right spot at the right time, Wagner is as good as anyone else in this class. On offense, he's got some work to do with his jump shot, but if that comes around, he's got a chance to be an excellent high leverage starter because of his playmaking. He already was a primary initiator for Michigan last season and while I don't think he'll be able to do that at the NBA level he definitely is an interesting complementary piece to Suggs moving forward with his high level passing and off-ball defense I think that Orlando had a great draft as we'll get into a bit later but this is a really really nice pick for the Magic yeah and a guy who I know you respect and now I I really respect because I mean you've told me great things that he said and I I'm starting to look at Reed and some of the great things he said Sam Vecini kind of compares him to Robert Covington defensively. And I think that's, that's definitely some praise right there. Like if he has the potential to become a guy like that, I mean, that, that'd be big for this magic team. Absolutely. So we're going to go now to pick number nine here, the Sacramento Kings. This was an interesting one. I thought too, 
Davian Mitchell, a six three guard from Baylor, and Clay. I know you're you weren't a big Davian Mitchell fan. I know you you liked his teammate a lot better, but Davian Mitchell goes to the Kings at nine. Yeah, my thing with Davian Mitchell is that he's already 22, so there's not a whole lot of upside here. And in addition to that, I don't really trust the jump shot. So you're basically getting like an on-ball hound defender who can attack the basket a bit. He's not a great foul drawer, so there's not much upside there either. But in general, I don't see Mitchell as a potential high-leverage starter, which is definitely what you're looking for with the ninth pick. In addition to that, he doesn't really fit real well with the Kings roster because they already have two starting caliber point guards in Deere and Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. So while Mitchell is someone who is thought of quite highly by a lot of people coming in, this is not a pick that makes a whole lot of sense, particular to me as I'm lower on Mitchell than the general consensus. But overall, just a very, very strange pick. And pretty much what you would expect from the Kings is this is one of the most interesting, not so good run franchises over the past couple of years in American sports. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly right about that. And yeah, may, maybe my, what I'm thinking possibly, maybe they thought Davian Mitchell was best available. Maybe they went with their strategy of drafting best, drafting best available. So that's possibly, but like, it's certainly one of the most confusing picks of this draft. Um, and here's pick number 10. Then we got Zaire Williams. And then this was, this ended up being Memphis's pick, right? Yep. They traded. Uh, in the Jonas Valanciunas, Eric Bledsoe, Stephen Adams trade, they got the 10th pick and the Pelicans got the 17th pick. That came in last Monday, so it took effect in the draft. But right here at 10, we've got Memphis taking Zaire out of Stanford. And Zaire was not very good this past season for the Cardinal, but he definitely does have a whole lot of upside. He's a huge project, but that's good for Memphis as they have a lot of quality rotation pieces and they didn't need someone who was going to have to play for them right away. Instead, they can be patient with Williams develop, let him spend some time with the Memphis hustle, their G league affiliate and let him grow into the big wing shot creator that he certainly has the potential to be. He's I think six, nine and has a long, wingspan and that just intriguing those intriguing physical attributes make him a worthwhile pick here it's not what I would have done as I think that James Book Knight was the best player available but I definitely can understand where Memphis is coming from I was just about to mention that I mean James Book Knight at number 10 still available and not taken so here comes number number 11 pick by the Charlotte Hornets they see James Book Knight and they're like how is this guy still in here? We got to take him. So we see James Booknight go 11, 6'5 wing from UConn. And I mean, I watched him play in the Big East and boy, oh boy, he can score. So. Yeah, I, I'm a big Booknight fan. I had him fifth on my personal big board and I thought that he should have been in play as early as the sixth pick for the Thunder. Obviously, he did not end up going that high. He ended up falling here to 11, where Charlotte was happy to snatch him up. I think he forms a really intriguing backcourt with LaMelo Ball moving forward. Probably won't start right away as Terry Rozier and potentially Devontae Graham are roadblocks for him there. But long term, I really like Book Knight's potential. He pairs nicely with Lonzo as he's paired up with someone who's one of the best passers in the NBA. So he's going to be able to focus on scoring, which is where he's most gifted. And they also both have a decent amount of defensive potential as both fall 
and Book Knight have decent amount of size for their positions. So this is a pick that I love for the Hornets, and I think we'll talk about it a bit more a little later on. I think we certainly will too. And I, I like the point you brought up with Lomelo Ball. I think with with him and Book Knight, I think with Lomelo being such an elite passer, I think that's really going to help him out with getting some quality looks to really you know get get him jump started for his rookie year. And pick number twelve, Clay. We're gonna go to this pick by the Spurs. This was, uh, I, I'm not sure what, what was going on here for San Antonio, but Joshua Primo, 6'6 guard, 18 years old out of Alabama. Um, he wasn't ranked high on many people's boards at all. And one thing that he had going for him, I mean, he was the youngest player in the draft, but Clay, this was this a great pick? <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely the most shocking pick of the draft. I didn't see anyone who had Primo inside their top 20 to, to see him jump all the way into the late lottery at 12 for the Spurs was just pretty mind-blowing. It's definitely not the pick I would have gone with because Primo is a project, as we talked about before with Williams, but he just doesn't have the same amount of upside since he's a bit smaller at six foot five with a six foot nine wingspan. He shot the ball really well this past season at Alabama, knocking, around, knocking down around 38% of his three-pointers. But to me, that's about his only NBA-ready skill. He's got potential defensively because of his size and length. And if he can continue to add to his frame and get stronger, he could genuinely be a plus defender in the NBA. However, that's going to take some time. And when you consider that he's also not much of a shot creator and is pretty much just a floor spacer on offense, this is a project pick that I can't get behind inside the top 25. And considering the Spurs went even higher and took him at 12, one of the worst picks of the draft, in my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned projects. I think this might be one of the biggest projects in the draft by far, especially considering the age and just the skill set. But we're going to go to pick number 13 by the Indiana Pacers, and I like this pick. Chris Duarte out of Oregon. I mean, 20 feet, 24 years old, like one of the oldest players in the draft. So we go from youngest to oldest right away. But uh, at Oregon, he can play. He played some great defense in the tournament. I, I mean, I think it was Pac-12 player of the year as well. So there's some upside there. And I think this guy could be a solid guard for the Pacers in the future to come. Yeah, Duarte is fantastic. He's a good shooter in a variety of ways, can knock it down off the bounce, off the catch, off of movement. He also can attack the basket. He's not a great passer, which limits him from really having star level upside. But I definitely see him as someone who could potentially be a starter by the end of his rookie contract. In addition to that, he has solid defensive tools and great instincts. Similar to Franz Wagner, he's a really good help defender, doesn't quite have the same physical tools as Wagner does. He still has solid length with his wingspan, but not the seven foot plus wingspan that Franz has even with that being said Duarte can still be impactful as a help defender and just a genuinely good starting wing at some point in his NBA career I like Duarte as a person as well as every interview I've seen with him has been fantastic he's clearly a high character guy and he's also a dad so that definitely earns him a plus in my book big fan of Duarte and I think that this is a really solid pick from the Pacers despite him being an older player that's not usually something that I like as it's much less likely that you're going to end up having a quality player in the lottery if they are above the age of 22 but in this case I can get behind it because Duarte is just such a good player right off the rip yeah certainly and I think some of the analysts saw 
then draft a guy Chris Duarte, and they're like, well, if you want to draft a guy kind of with some 3 and D ability, why wouldn't you just take Moses Moody? So, and eventually then the next pick with the 14th pick, the Warriors then took Moses Moody. So, I mean, we saw three, two, three and D wings go back to back here. And this, this time Moses Moody, 18 years old, and he's out of Arkansas. So we see a guy six years younger who with, with a similar skill set here. And I, I know you like Moody and I, I think he is the chance to be a really great player for this Warriors team, even though he might be a project. Yeah, I, I'm a big Moody fan. I had him ninth on my personal big board. So I would have taken him over Duarte, who I had 18th. I think that Moody's got a chance to really blossom into an elite caliber role player. He is a knockdown shooter. He was just 35% this past season at Arkansas, but that's because a lot of his shots were really challenging, a lot of off the dribble stuff. And once he comes into an NBA environment and is taking more catch and shoot looks, especially looks generated by players that have as much gravity as Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, I think we'll see that shooting percentage skyrocket and, he also has some really good defensive tools, has a, an impressive seven foot one inch wingspan. So a really nice pick for the Warriors here, banking on the combination of Moody's ability to play now because of his skills and his upside because of his age and frame. So uh, one of the better picks of the draft here from the Warriors and definitely one that I'm a big fan of. So would you think that like Moody could make a more like uh, a quicker impact to this team right now than Jonathan Kamenga, the guy, the guy they took seven spots ahead? Yeah, I would. I, I don't think that either of these two players is going to be able to be a starter-level player right away. But coming off the end of your bench, I definitely think Moody could help because he has a pro-level skill right away with his shooting. Kaminga doesn't really have anything that he does at an NBA caliber yet. He does have more long-term upside. But as of right now, I think Moody's the more useful player. All right, and then we go to 15. I mean, the Washington Wizards then? Get, have a pick here and they took a guy who we said was going to go probably in the mid first round, maybe a little later, but like in the twenties, but Corey Kispert from Gonzaga, he finally gets drafted here six, seven wing, 22 years old seat. And he was a senior this past year. And I mean, when you talk shooting, you're talking Corey Kispert. Yeah, he's probably one of the two best movement shooters in this draft, along with Iowa's Joe Wieskamp. Kispert is so, so good at knocking down those shots. And I think that at the NBA level where he's put into a scheme where his coach is going to be running plenty of pin down looks for him, he's going to end up being a real offensive weapon probably right away in his rookie season. It's also very interesting that he went to the Wizards who had just traded Russell Westbrook in exchange for that. They brought back another pick, which they would eventually turn into Isaiah Todd. So they have some intriguing young pieces here with Todd, Kispert, Danny Avdia, and Rui Hashimura. And I'm just kind of intrigued to see where the Wizards go from here, especially when you consider that Bradley Beal could potentially ask out, although at this point that appears unlikely. Yeah, this this team's got a lot of shooting now with with Beal, Kispert, and, and Bertrand, Bertans. And so that's that's quite the trio just right there of scoring and shooting. But what I find what I find crazy here is you know, John Hollinger for these last eight picks. So like he he was very high on Shangun and he he would have taken Shangun with all those last eight picks over the guys that were taken. But here we go to number 16, which the pick by the Thunder, which was traded to the Rockets. 
His man finally gets taken. Alpern and Shingun, a 6'10 big, gets taken. And this was the guy who we've mentioned multiple times, um, international prospect, arguably the best one over Giddy. And I think he... I think he's going to be a great guy, a great player for the Rockets. I mean, he's going to, I think he'll pair well with Jalen Green. And they, right now, the Rockets, I mean, with Harden gone, they got to, they got to rebuild and they got some promising guys here already with Christian Wood. But I think this was a great pick for the Houston Rockets. I, I completely agree. In my opinion, the Rockets were the single biggest winner of this year's draft. They took Jalen Green. Uh, Elprin Shangun and Usman Garuba over the course of the night, as well as Josh Christopher. Those are players that I had second, 10th, 16th, and 32nd on my big board. So obviously they're bringing in a ton of talent and they're all guys that I liked more than where they were taken. So this was an excellent draft for Houston. They bring in some key players to add to their core. Shangun gives them a really intriguing big man who's going to be able to operate inside at a high level and has the potential to turn into a Jamontis bonus level shot creator from the center position in Jalen green they're getting one of the biggest upside players in the draft probably second to only Cade Cunningham and if he makes everything click you're bringing in someone who's probably going to be a top five shooting guard in the game and making all NBA teams then they added Usman Garuba Garuba has a case as the best defender in this draft class. He's great and versatile, can play in a variety of pick and roll schemes, whether that's the drop, switching, hedging, he can do it all. And they brought in this guy as well as someone in green who has high upside and Shangun, who is the mystery of the class, but definitely has a chance to become a high level starter. A great draft for the Rockets and one that I absolutely am a huge fan of. Drew, what did you think of the Rockets draft? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned winners and losers because Rockets were my first winner as well, Clay. I mean, getting Jalen Green and then getting being able to have Shangun fall in your hands and yet get Usman Garuba as well out of Spain. I thought the, this was a great pick. I mean, great picks for them. I mean, we mentioned Josh, Josh, uh, Josh Christopher as well was a great pick, you know, and I think this Rockets team, they're doing everything right so far in this rebuild. I mean, they got some draft capital, and they made the most of it. They really did. But my other winners, Clay, I got – I'm going to read my two other ones I got. I got the Detroit Pistons for just having the opportunity to draft Cade Cunningham and taking advantage of it and the Orlando Magic. But I want to go back quickly on the Pistons before I go to the Mag- – we go back to the Magic. But they had that – we that offer we mentioned, um, Shea Gilgis Alexander, the sixth overall pick for the number one overall pick. So, are you? I, I mean, I'm still shocked that they didn't take that. Yeah, in the rumor mills, that was definitely one we were hearing a lot about. I'm not sure if it was actually on the table, but if it was, I probably would have taken it if I were Pistons general manager. Troy Weaver obviously he either declined the trade offer or it simply didn't actually happen and was concocted by some media members but either way they didn't end up ended up pulling the trigger and they have taken Cade Cunningham with the first pick I am a huge fan of this I had Cunningham as the clear number one player on my board the only player with real superstar upside in this draft class he's a high level shot creator can knock down jumpers can get to the rim can find teammates and is a high level shot creator off of his playmaking on defense he's switchable can guard multiple positions is a great help defender with great defensive instincts I think he fits perfectly into the Pistons especially with what they want to do on the defensive 
end of the court. They can now run out a lineup of Killian Hayes, Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, and Jeremy Grant. Those are five switchable defenders that are going to be an absolute menace for opposing offenses to deal with. In addition to that, they have five players who can shoot the ball at a pretty decent level. And all five of those guys are up and coming players who have a lot of room to grow still. This is one of the best rebuilds in the NBA right now. And it's so exciting that they were able to add Cade Cunningham because I think that he's really the straw that can make I, I never mind. I forget how that saying goes, but I think that this is a great pick. I think that he is the perfect player for them to add and I'm really excited to see where they go from here. Yeah, I think the Pistons, I think this might be one of the best Pistons teams we'll see. We've seen a few years, and I'm just talking for the aspect of the Bucks. I mean, usually when they play the Pistons, it's been a cakewalk, but now they, they're starting to generate some some decent pieces. So and then the other winner we had, we both had, I believe, the Orlando Magic. I mean, when you're able to get Jalen Suggs at number five and you're able to get a guy like Franz Wagner at eight, which I you're you're both – you're hiring both of those guys, and I understand why. I mean, this this rebuild in Orlando done by uh, John Hammond is not going not not too shabby at all either. No, it's certainly not. The Magic are another team that have a very strong defensive identity built up. Already coming in, they had some high-level defenders in their young players, guys like Jonathan Isaac, Chumo Keiki. Uh, Markel Fultz are all very high level defensive players who can guard their position at a very high level. They have now added someone who's going to be their primary option on offense in Jalen Suggs and is also one of the best on ball defenders in this draft class. I compare him at times to Drew Holiday in terms of what he can do on the ball. And I think he gave a quote following being selected that watching the Bucks play in the playoffs inspired him to improve his defense even further. So very, very intriguing player there in Suggs, who I had third on my board. They also added Wagner, who continues to add to that defensive identity. So very, very excited for this Magic team. And honestly, all the rebuilding teams did quite well, with the exception of the Oklahoma City Thunder, whose draft was one of the worst, in my opinion. Yep, and we're, we're talking about losers right now, Clay, and we're going to talk about two losers only. you got to pick two, which I think that works well with us, but or the first one, the OKC Thunder, uh, taking Josh Giddy sixth overall. I mean, I hopefully we're hopefully we're wrong about this, but I think I think there is a lot of better guys to take at number six. And I mean, Book Knight, just throwing out some names there. Book Knight was a guy who certainly would have fit that their system there at number six. But hey, they go with Josh Giddy, and they were certainly one of the losers in my opinion. Yeah, we talked about Giddy quite extensively earlier, or at least I did. Uh, Sorry, I didn't let you get a word in before, Drew, but you gave your piece on Giddy just now. Anyways, aside from that sixth pick, I didn't really like what they did the rest of the draft either. With the 18th pick, they took Trey Mann out of Florida. Mann was someone that I had 40th on my personal board, so that was a pick that I disagreed with. He does have some potential as a pull-up jump shooter, but I don't think that he's ever going to make a click on defense or as a playmaker, so that was a definite reach in my opinion. Along with that, they took Jeremiah Robinson Earl with the 32nd pick. Robinson Earl plays really hard, was a good player in the Big East last season, winning co-Big East Player of the Year with uh, another guy that we're going to talk about very soon. But I don't think that he offers the upside necessary to be taken at the beginning of the second round. And overall, 
don't think the, that the Sam Presti and the Thunder did very well in this draft. Yeah, certainly, Clay. And the other loser we have, I mean, we mentioned their pick already as well, the San Antonio Spurs. They, oh, they took Joshua Primo at number 12, who was a guy who we thought could have been end of first round. And I think I, that was just a shock to me. That really was. That was what we mentioned, one of the shock, most shocking picks in the draft, and they could have taken – other sort of guards, they could have took some of those three and D guys we mentioned in Duarte and Moody. And there's some other guys better who I know you were really high on. And like in the second round, even that were drafted and guys like Dosumu and like Wieskamp and just not, not a good pick. Yeah. I, I don't love it. Obviously it's not one that you can judge right away because he's a project. It's going to take time for him to develop and perhaps he can reach his upside, but as of right now, it definitely appears that there were better players on the board. So definitely one of the losers of the draft, in my opinion, and obviously in yours as well. Yeah, so now we're going to go, we're going to switch some gears here, Clay. We're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. What did they do on draft night? And I just, Clay, I felt I felt terrible for the Bucks believer yourself <laughs> because you spent all these hours putting together a fantastic video. If you have not checked it out yet, still check it out. I don't care that the draft's over. It's a 27-minute video that Clay Taylor did about the draft, and he it got it, it did great for his channel, and it was just an overall great breakdown of the dra- of guys who the Bucks could draft. But the reason it was just they they traded the draft pick, so that 31st pick no more. So Clay all the time he put in those drafts and to look at who they could take 31st was it it didn't happen. So I I just, I felt bad for you, Clay there. Yeah, that was a definite bummer, but they still ended up making some selections on draft night. They traded the 31st pick to the Indiana Pacers for the 54th pick, the 60th pick and two second round picks in the future, one in 2024 and one in 2026. With that 54th pick, they ended up taking Sign Jerome Mamu Kalashvili from Seton Hall. And with the 60th pick, they put Yorgos Kalitzakis. We practiced saying this so much before, Drew, and I'm pretty sure I just messed it up anyway. No, you did good. uh, Okay, okay. I'm glad. And he's a Greek guy who has the same agent as Giannis Antetokounmpo, which would be Alex Saratsis from Octagon. So a definite Milwaukee Bucks connection right there. But these are two intriguing picks to me. Drew, which one of these two gets you most interested? So, you know, this is a Marquette podcast here, Jordan and Drew, the sports crew. We love the Golden Eagles. And I've seen Sandra Mamukalashvili play for years. And he just, he always, he's a Marquette killer. He, he, his job, he just go, when he goes against Marquette, he just tries to exploit their defense. He does a great job. I mean, because what, what he does, he can really, he lights it up shooting, and then he starts to get guys close out on him, tries to get, or he gets a lot of guys, he gets a lot of attention. So what happens then is he's an excellent passer too at 6'11". He, he's really able to just um, get what he wants, and um, he's got a really good, really good feel for the game, and you can really tell watching him play. So I'm high on him, and I know we were talking before we recorded about Yorgos Kalidzakis. Kalidzakis, there it is. And we were talking <laughs> about him, and you think he's kind of a, 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 stash, a stash player, right? 
Yeah, he's he's a player who obviously has a Greek passport since he was playing there this past year and also is under contract with the team, if I'm not mistaken. So the Bucks do have the option to keep him playing in Greece for the next season or two. And then once he's uh, more NBA ready, they can bring him over and have him join the roster. So I would agree with what you just said there about Sandro. He is definitively the better prospect, in my opinion. And he was very intriguing to me when I watched a little bit of his tape. He clearly is a very good playmaker from the center position. Last season, he posted an assist rate better than 20%, which is extremely good for someone who's playing the five. And if he can bring that over to the Bucks, you would add a new element to their offense that they don't really have at this point from the center position as neither Brooke Lopez nor Bobby Portis are extremely high-level passers with good feel for the game. In addition to that passing, Mamu Kelishvili shot 33.9% from three over his career. So he could space the floor out from the five for Giannis as well. The struggles with him come on defense. He's not a great rim protector and he also doesn't move his feet very well. So I'm not sure if he'll be able to guard on the perimeter or inside, but if he can make that defense click, he's got a chance to be a very nice bench player for the Bucks because of his offensive feel. I do agree there, Clay. And I'm just going to to wrap this up before we do our trivia. I'm going to read some other notable picks that occurred through the draft that I'm going to ask you about who's the guy who stood up for you no matter what pick it was. So number 20, Jalen Johnson went to the Hawks. So we know him from Nick Clay High School. Down by Milwaukee. Native. Yeah, Wisconsin native, of course. And then number 25, a guy we mentioned in our uh, preview, Quentin Grimes, went to the went to the Knicks. So that was a pick there. And then we got J- Jeremiah Robinson Earl, JRE from Nova. He went to OKC. And then Miles McBride, a guy who we also mentioned, went to the Knicks at 36. Ayo Dosomu went to the Chicago Bulls with the 38th pick. Jared Butler went 40th to, would they go to Utah? Yep. Okay. And then Joe Wieskamp went to the Spurs at 41. Luca Garza went 52. And then uh, we got one more guy I want to mention. Aaron Wiggins from Maryland went to, did he go to Denver? Is that what, or no, he went to OKC, right? Uh, yeah, you went to OKC. Okay, you went to OKC. There we go. So those are the final guys I wanted to mention there. And now it's time for trivia. So Clay Taylor, Ooh. for the first time ever on Jordan and Drew, the sports crew, is participating in trivia. We got some NBA draft stuff. It starts off easy. It gets a little hard. I got some over-unders for him. It's, it's a tough one. So we're going to get started right away, Clay. Ten questions. Here we go. First question. Who is the first overall pick? Cade Cunningham. Move along. Who is the second overall pick? Jalen Green. Who was the third overall pick? Evan Mobley. All right. That was a quick three for three for Clay Taylor. Now here we go. Who will be drafted first? Jonathan Kaminga or Scotty Barnes? Scotty Barnes. Correct. Davian Mitchell's draft position was it? Over 8.5 or under 8.5? It was over by half a pick. There it was. Franz Wagner's draft position, over 9.5 or under 9.5? Under. Yep. Here, okay. You're on a roll. Six, 
Six for six. Now, here's where we get tough, Clay. How many players from non-NCAA teams were drafted in the top 10? Over 2.5 or under 2.5? Over. Over is correct. Yes. The G League guys like Josh Giddy. <laughs> Number of players drafted in the first round from the Southeastern Conference. Over 7.5 or under 7.5? Primo, Moody. I think it was under. Under is correct. Yes. Was it Was it six? <laughs> um, I don't have the numbers here right now, okay, but okay. it was under. So that's all that matters. We got two more. Number of players drafted in the first round from the Big 12 Conference. Over 3.5 or under 3.5? So you've got Davian Mitchell, you've got Kai Jones, you've got Cade Cunningham. I think that was it. Oh, am I forgetting someone? I don't think so. I'm going to say under. Under is correct. Yes. Nine oh. for nine. One. Oh. Here we go. Number of players drafted in the first round from the Pac-12 conference. Over 2.5 or under 2.5? Okay. Josh Christopher, Chris Duarte, Evan Mobley. So it's at least three. I might have missed one, but I'm going to say it's it's over 2.5, right? Clay goes 10 for 10 in NBA draft trivia. Congratulations, Clay. I, I know we started really, really easy with those first, first few picks, but I knew those conference ones might be a little tough, and I'm really glad you got, you know, you got the 10 for 10. Congratulations. Yeah, I think on those ones. I, I, if I'm being honest, the Pac-12 one where it was over – or no, that was the SEC. It was over under 7.5. I just kind of guessed on that one because it would have taken me a long time to think through it. But, oh, man, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did well. <laughs> and I'm glad too. I mean, you I mean, you, you know these draft prospects and you watch the draft yourself. And congrats, Clay, on your 10 for 10 for trivia. It was, it was fun talking a lot of draft notes with you today. Drew, I got a quick trivia question for you. Okay, let's, let's go. Who is, the, who is the 15th pick in the 2013 NBA draft? Giannis Atatekumbo. Woo! <laughs> yeah, that was certainly a great pick for the Bucks, And... Yeah, I mean, the 2013 draft's actually turning itself around. I mean, some of those guys, it was considered a horrible class at first, but, I mean, with Giannis now, of course, it's, yeah. it's got to be better. But Rudy Gobert went at the end of the first round, so that's 27 NBA guys that were outside the lottery that ended up popping off. So definitely a better class than people thought at first. Certainly. And, Clay, I, I mean, I appreciate you coming on, cover it, filling in for the great Jordan Lorenz as he's out in Nashville partying it up still. But um, so for the schedule now, guys, for the rest of the week, we'll either have the Summer Sports Spectacular episode 10. It'll either come Wednesday, August 4th or Friday, August 6th. So that that'll be great there. And the final thing is the EWC football special will be coming out awfully soon. I'm just going to go check the calendar quickly to let you guys know. Robert Schimmick's coming on for it. It should be coming out Monday, August 16th. So mark that on your calendars. You will have an EWC football preview with the with Drew Skyberg and Robert Schimmick. Coming. Can't wait. That, yep, 
I appreciate it, Clay. I really hope it, it's going to be a great episode, I think. So it's always fun to have Robert on to talk some EWC sports. It's always fun to have you on. So, Clay, could you want to shout yourself out? Uh, sure. Find me on YouTube. I'm the Bucks Believer. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribed and checked out a few of my videos because as we get further and further into it, I've been putting more and more time in. So it's been a lot of fun, though. I love making YouTube videos and almost I love that almost as much as I love coming on Jordan and Drew. It's truly a pleasure to be on, Drew. Hopefully I can come on again soon, maybe next season for the Bucks. We can talk about some uh, title defense, perhaps we can hope. So thanks for having me on. And it's, it was a lot of fun, as always. Yeah, really. I totally agree, Clay. It was fun to have you on. And then my socials, Drew Skyberg, D-R-E-W-S-K-Y-B-E-R-G on all platforms. And yeah, that's about it. So thank you all for listening to another episode of Jordan and Drew, the sports crew, the perfect podcast for you.